Hello and welcome to Life of Brian. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, it's all over his 60. There's no point going on. Gee whiz. He's old. He's, he's, he's got old on me. Well, <laughs> you did that with all the enthusiasm of the girl that works at my <laughs> Red Rooster. And she, she she's there and she says, like, you know, you say, uh, can I get a large chips? And she says, would you like a $2 piece of chicken to go with that? <laughs> and it's like, come on, babe, motivate yourself. For good. <laughs> Would you like a $2 piece of chicken to go with that? <laughs> it's like, no. See, if the chicken's as, it's, it sounds like the chicken's off when you talk. It should, you should be, would you like a $2 piece of chicken to go with that? Not, would you like a $2 piece of chicken to go with that? Anyway. So I don't think they get any training. They don't get any training. Well, they clearly they don't at my Red Rooster because you go up there and half the time they don't have any chicken. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Well, sorry, I don't, I don't know why you keep going to a chicken shop that doesn't have chicken. It's like going to Bob Jane T-Mart and say, oh, sorry, mate, we don't have any tyres. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just stupid. It's the worst Red Rooster there is, you know. You know what's worse than that? I mean, what's actually worse than that is when you go and they say, oh, give us 15 minutes and we'll have some. Well, hang on, what, were you not expecting any customers? It, yeah, well, especially, you, you, yes. Yeah. 6.30 on a Friday night and, you know, you, you fast food chicken and you don't have any chicken and it's like, well, you're supposed to be fast food chicken. You're not fast and you don't have any chicken. You're failing on both areas there. It's just, you know, if a band played as efficiently as the Red Rooster does at my local Red Rooster, they'd be on the dole quick smart. Or, or they'd be working at Red Rooster going, Would you like a $2 piece of chicken to go with that? <laughs> anyway, well, listen, we uh, we fulfilled uh, the uh, you know the prerequisites that when you come to this podcast, you expect certain things, and we will give you those those things in this podcast. We promise that. Yes, we've got an interview on the show today. <laughs> Would you like a two dollar piece of chicken to go with the interview? <laughs> For goodness' sake, I had a bad start to what, the day today, Kev. What happened? I, I sleep with the radio in my ear, in one ear, and I have the ABC, which generally turns to the BBC, because I find that, you know, if you wake up and you can't sleep, there's nothing worse than your mind starts working. So you have, you know, like the BBC on it, and in Spain today, a large group of people gathered to, and you just fall asleep when you hear that kind of voice. Hmm. But anyway, this morning I woke up, and guess what the first voice I heard for today was? On the ABC. Yes. Uh, well, it depends what time you woke up, but I'm Le- tipping it might have been a press conference. Yeah, I reckon you're 100% right. It, bloody Dan Andrews, what a way to wake up. Well, <laughs> look, I know it's difficult and we are all in. Why do, they, why do Labor people always try to talk like Gough Whitlam? They always talk in clumps like this. And I know it's difficult, but as a responsible government, you know, what, 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 what? what? <laughs> Would you like a two dollar piece of chicken to go with your premier? Oh. Dan Andrews, <laughs> a, a two dollar piece of chicken. I tell you, I'm just furious, Kev. I don't think I've ever been more angry than I am right now. Well, relax, settle down, and get ready for a lovely interview that we've done with Joe Camilleri. What a great fella! 
what an, what an unbelievable musical uh, lifetime um, experience this man's had. I bet he's in the Aria Hall of Fame. Why do you ask that question? Well, because I'll never be in the Aria Hall of Fame because I'm, you know, not, well, not popular with the, the record people. Well, as you'll discover, mm. um, he's just he's just released his 50th album. Wow. 50 albums. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got 50 years, but that's one song. Yeah. He's got 50 albums, Brian. That's a, that's a hell of a track record, isn't it? And, it's and, only and there's best songs than that in there, but Joe Camilleri has made fifty albums and they're all good. They are, and I'll yeah. tell you the what the new one, the latest mm. one, St George's Road, is is terrific. It really is good. It's got some great songs on it. Yeah, he's he's a really interesting songwriter in that he writes different styles and um, he sort of covered the whole gamut. Yeah, uh, Chiquita he's, off the new album and uh, Living Like Kings. They're really good songs. Yeah, and he's a really nice fella too, and very very talented. And a really good driver. And a really good driver? Yeah. How'd you work that out? He's the sort of bloke that you would feel safe getting in a car with, but he might not be as good a driver as he thinks he is. Oh, I know what he should do. If he does, he should ring up one three hundred triple five five seven six. That's right. Yeah. Just talk to Mercotts. That's exactly right. That's what he should do. Because he goes on the road a lot, you know. He'd be travelling around in the car a lot. I know how this works. And um, did you ever drive you know, the, the tour bus? Did you ever drive? Do you ever drive the the uh, you know in the X Men days? Did you ever? No, not really. Those a couple of times I did. They decided that they wouldn't let me drive again. So I deliberately kind of drive a little bit shit house when I'm with the guys because then they say, "No, nah, don't let Mano drive. I'll, I'll drive rather than Mano drive," which suits me perfectly. I'd rather sit in the back and have a beer. See, you had the ability to drive really well because you did the Mercotts course when you did the Grand Prix in well, 87? That's right, six? 85. I was yeah. the, uh, 85, yeah, I was yeah. close. Um, yep, because I learned how to be a Grand Prix driver and uh, all the racing lines, you know, when to power out of the kerb, all of that stuff. And um, that's why I came, I think uh, me and my teammate came about fifth or seventh. So that wasn't too bad because I go. got left us at uh, second last, so he did well. One three hundred triple five five seven six. That's the number for Mercotts. Give them a call of gift vouchers for Christmas. Uh, book something in for next year. Uh, book something in for this year. Um, they'll have special offers uh, available on their website. So check that out as well. Mercotts.edu.au. Let's get to our good friend uh, Joe Camilleri and uh, have a chat to him about uh, not only this latest album but all the things that he's done in this amazing career of his. Do you reckon that? He might like a two-dollar piece of chicken to go with that. <laughs> Let's find out. Okay. Gentlemen, good afternoon. And good afternoon to you, and congratulations, 50 albums. Bloody hell. That's the, yeah, it's, there's, well, there's a couple of best-ofs here. It's got my 50th release. It's slightly a different, uh, different concept, but I didn't realise how many records the Falcons made. Brian, you'd know this. You'd go into the, you'd be doing 200, 300 shows a year and you're going in the studio, you know, after the gigs, putting down stuff. Mushroom were really big on demos, you know. So some of those albums yeah. were actually demos, you know. <laughs> Just kind of, they didn't really give a shit. Just put it out with another cover. Um, but those were good old days on some, so many different levels. Well, you covered a real range of music along the way, you know, like um, Hats Off, Step Lively is yeah. uh, sort of almost Elvis Costello-y, and then you've got stuff that sounds like you know, Kid Creole and, you know, Cumbia yeah. stuff and stuff. So 
You must listen to a lot of different styles of music, I imagine. Well, we all did, and we're all still doing it, I imagine. Everyone has it. If you like music, it's a wide net, really. On that Hats Off Step Lively, you know, I was kind of a bit ripped off on that because Peter Solly brought the song that really sounded like it was an outtake from Elvis Costello's uh, Oliver's Army, which was um, All I Want to Do, right? We did a couple of tours with with Elvis, and, and that was fun. And and he really liked the band, really liked the Falcons and stuff. And I thought, well, and it really just just sounded like an outtake to me. But of course, you get bitten by success, don't you? You know, it kind of really bites you on the ass. And, and you're thinking, oh, this is a this is a surefire pop single. And you need it to be. In those days, you kind of the hats off, step lively, and and and. Um, came out only about 14 months after Screaming Target. So Mushroom only released two singles off that album, you know, and that's what really? they would normally do. They, yeah, nothing else. They just was, It was hit and run, Shape I'm In, and Shape I'm In was a sort of a d- disaster release because everyone bought the album. They, they worked their stuff differently in those days. So you go get back on the road, you do your 300 shows, you come back, I didn't have the material. You know, Australian Targets was 25 years of thinking about, um, you know, ringing the bell. We had the wonderful Wayne Bird, who was a magnificent songwriter, and, and I ruined most of his songs. <laughs> 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 Unintentionally, but I listened to those early, and I'm thinking, for a start, who is that guy singing? <laughs> Why is he doing it like that? You know, then you get the you got the overseas producer. All of a sudden, the idea of the band, instead of being the most important thing of the songs in the and performance, it was around five or six. It was all about all these other things that that, that were sort of coming at you. You know, you well, you got to go overseas and play. You got to do this. You're writing on the run. You, you've got a couple of good ideas. You got a producer turning up. He's now on cocaine, you know. He's got a plastic nose by now, and he's biting at the bit to sort of to get out, get out of Australia, you know, to go back to New York. So um, he brings this track, all I want to do, and and it it's almost a hit, you know. In in those days, if you had a top twenty hit, it was a hit, you know, because there would have been a lot of people buying the record. It wouldn't be like today, you know. Just um, it's just a look around and a cup of tea. So it, it was more like that. I just didn't have the material, uh, even though the record went gold. But it was it went gold on the back of the the strength of the really good record, which was Screaming Target. And of course, the band were a great. They were, the Falcons were a great band, you know. And, and it was untidy. And I think most bands were a little bit untidy, you know. Though it was there was a lot of things running around. The social commitment in those days were very high. After the show, drinks were really, you know, it was that went on. That sort of business went on till three, four o'clock in the morning, uh, and that was every night, you know. So it was, um, it's not like these days where you don't, you don't even drink a third of your rider and you take it home for Christmas. Um, <laughs> oh, you might be right on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right. Pretty much. <laughs> no, I've seen down. you, Brian. I've seen you in the morning. I have seen you earlier in the morning. <laughs>
I don't know if you felt this, Brian, but you're kind of a, you're tasting things along the way musically, aren't you? You know, you yeah. sort of say, um, a different person comes into the band and it changes the configuration of how things are, are being seen. You know, when when Wayne left, it was fortunate for me that you know I still believe to this day that you know I'm lyrically challenged. But um, you know, you, you you have a go. And you've got this animal, and it's you know it's really popular, nowhere on the charts. Can't sell a record for all the tea in China. You, you kind of lose your best songwriter. You kind of write a you you know I, I was a bit out of left of field. All of a sudden, you pen a couple of songs. You think they're really easy. So I can do this all day, you know, all, for the rest of my life. And then all of a sudden, you know, you hit a brick wall pretty heavy, and because you you, you need to fill the tank. And uh, I think that's what happened to the Falcons, really. And so I was looking for things. You know, the, you mentioned the kick Creole and the Coconuts kind of thing. You know, I've had some wacky hits. You know, I had that hit with Taxi Mary. I mean, I, I was playing somewhere near Byron Bay, you know, some bowling club. I had an 11-piece band. And they were hungry. I made this record. Now, Peter Solly came to make this record again. He, he flew in from Miami and... He sacked the whole band. <laughs> so, oh, he was what? always really good at that, you know, just saying, no, I'm not going to use you. I'm not going to use you. And I, I just, it was just me and him, you know, me and him and a bag of cocaine well, or many bags of cocaine. And he put everything on, you know, I just come in and sing. And I said, I've got this song called Taxi Mary. It's kind of a wacky, quirky thing, you know. So I'm playing, you know, we released a record. It was called the, the you know, Char, I think it was called Char or something, just Jojo Zep. Yep. I'm sort of on my own now. I'm in Bangalore and I get a call, you know, that's when you get the call, you know, in the hotel room and it says, hey, you're in the top ten on Countdown, you know, <laughs> you got to get your ass yep. down here, you know, we've got to cancel, you. <laughs> we've got all these gigs, the different sort of thing line up, you know, you're not playing in pizza parlours anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're back on the job, you know, so... It was a wacky time, you know, 11 people wearing cummerbunds and, and doing the Highland Fling and a sort of a crazy thing, and, and you're sort of back on the charts. And, you know, the, the business, the show business, appears its head again. And it's a strange thing, but I kind of always liked all those things, you know, as a just as a music fan. So uh, you, you use everything you've got, I think. When you hear those songs now, Joe, how do they, how, how do they sit with you? Well, you know, I can't – I can listen to Hit and Run now. I mean, that's nearly 45 years. And uh, But I remember sort of coming up uh, Barclay Street and hearing that song on one of the major radio stations, you know, and, um, and it was the first time I thought I had a hit record. You know, it just sounded like a world-sounding record, you know, quirky. Yeah. Carrie Young made that song. I mean, I had to do, 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 and I stole that from Ross Hannaford. I mean, just, you know, not not the lick, but just the, you can walk, you, I used to walk around singing it, you know, <laughs> do, 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 you know, in his funny, his deep voice or something. And, and um, but Gary wouldn't play the drop beat. He just, God bless him, he played the two, you know, played it like a rock and roller. And I think that was the charm of that particular song, you know. So I can listen to that and I play that. And I, I still play The Shape I'm In because it, for some 
there, there's something about that song that uh, it didn't matter if it, it was kind of for me. I don't know how you feel about this, Brian, when you write a song and you, you can't get the second line of the chorus, you know. It doesn't matter what you throw in there. It just doesn't kind of work, you know. So you kind of just leave it. I gave that to the sports for their Don't Throw Stones album. And, and, and I thought Steve Cummings would have, you know, he really liked it, but he, it, it was confusing for him. And, and so we ended up doing it. And it, it just makes people happy. I understand it. And I love the, I love the horn line. And it has nothing to do with the song, but somehow it, you know, a square peg in a round hole somehow, you know, kind of worked on that. So I can listen to that. I can't listen to the more modern records, you know, like uh, I, I Chain to the Wheel. I, I can't listen to that kind of, those sort of songs. I, uh, I, I just, I, I tune out. Wow. I always look at all my songs like, um, it's like a diary almost, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, I was, you know, 16 then. And so I go, well, that's what I was when I was 16, you know. I should have written a bridge, but I didn't. But, but that's what I did. It, well, 16 is a beautiful number, did. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I do things in sixteens too. Strangely enough, I always with oh, this yes. record, St George's Road had sixteen songs on it. I had to colour down to eleven. But um, I always think that sixteen there's just something uh, lucky about that number. I find it. Um, you know every note on the disc, and you know that you could probably do it better. But it, you did. You couldn't have done it any better on the day. So you got to let it go. Change of the wheel for me. You know, I like the the idea of the song, but it always sounded like an ad for a car to me. It was just a four-minute ad for a car. <laughs> and I don't like the way I sang it. You know, I don't oh. – but that's okay. It's not up to me, you know. Whereas on some of the other tracks that were less valuable on the, on, um, on the record, and that was a 16-track album, uh, Hold On To Me. I love Hold On To Me. There's something about that song that – I don't mind listening to it. And, and the, once again, it's kind of where the music and the lyrics kind of like each other in a certain way and they play off each other. And that's, they're the best kind of songs to write. You were talking about your lyrics before and um, how you say so you struggle with them, but I've always thought your lyrics are really, really strong. And um, I particularly like on your new record, um, Living Like Kings, because I don't think I've ever heard a song where people are planning a robbery as a bankrupt. It's like a, it's like a gangster movie. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> You've seen plenty of movies like that, like you know, a bit of Raymond Chandler. You know, oh, they're just, it's great. Yeah, they're and, just, and, and, and me, people don't write stories anymore, and I think that's really good because it's a really good school story. So well done on that. Well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, I've got, I'm a two-headed insect, of course. You know, I've got Nick Smith who's a wonderful um, lyricist and a, a, a beautiful musician as well. So it, it, it's just a little bit of fun. You know, it's about a couple of guys, you know, and they're sort of trying to pull the last heist, you know, that's going to set them up for life. Of course, you know, there's no honour between thieves. And, of course, the gal who's, who sets them all up kind of takes all the dough and, uh, you know, he goes to jail. You know, it's a kind of... It's a, it's intricate in a three and a half minute concept, but they're on their way to Palookaville. That's the way I like to put yeah. it.
all the stuff I had to do Get my head straight, reassemble the old crew Meet up a man is when the moon is full Don't lose a plot cause we got one last job to pull Might need some muscle if things don't go to plan Six foot six, hands like bricks, Charlie is your man That cracker safe requires a certain kind of skill Romeo's got eyes for blood, he's handy with a drill Can't move without a driver sharp with nerves of steel Don't wanna brag, but I'm that guy behind the wheel All the pieces put in place I kept the motor humming Cooling my own space Counting down the seconds A shotgun by my side Waiting for all the boys To break the business open one. Just like clockwork Jordy scurried in the dark in a cage. Couldn't thin the high stone meal went down from a 28 gauge. So I put it all behind me and ran out of people to hate. On Independence Day there was Charlie at the gate. We drove into the city, picked up Romeo on the way. Spent all night of manis until he said we couldn't stay. From that uh, great uh, new album, St George's Road, check it out, his 50th release, and we're going to play another track off the album uh, to finish the show off. Uh, that is uh, Joe Camilleri. What a great song. Royalty what a, of Australian music. He is royalty yeah. of Australian music, and he's very big in Malta as well, and same as Norman Gunston. So there you go. Norman Gunston's big in Malta. Well, when he won the Gold Logie, 
he got up and he said, uh, no, you want a silver Logie? And he said um, something about, well, my mother's in Malta and they only get TV week in black and white, so she'll think it's gold. (laughs) (laughs) Exceptionally talented man, Gary McDonald. An exceptionally talented man. Why don't we have him on Uh, the show, Kev? Well, why we all, well, now that you mentioned him, I'll try to get him. Yeah. Try and track him down. I don't think he does terribly I, much. I don't days. think he does much interviews, but um, he's a very, very no. talented man too. I've got a list. I've got a list as long as your arm of the people who's knocked back being on this program. Really? Yes, really. Well, I bet you that drummer from Status Quo knocked you back after you told him that he was dead. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, people that we've killed off on other podcasts or on this podcast uh, yeah, normally won't talk to us, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, okay. Um, we have so we have some beauties coming up, including Stevie Van Zandt from the Bruce Springsteen band. He's going to be on the show. And the Sopranos. Jack Jones is going to be on the show. Jackie. And? Yes. And we have a, a special Cup Day presentation. Oh, Yes. Yes, I yes. know we're going to use with your mate, my mate, buddy, good, buddy, good, buddy, good, bloody great. And it'll be a special, special adults only version of the uh, of the podcast. Oh, you'll laugh your uh, head off at that one. You will, mm. you absolutely will. Now, mm. um, promised uh, that we would uh, revisit Lisa Edwards because we had a couple of really good things we, we uh, talked to Lisa about that we didn't get to fit in. No, uh, not in the last show because the last show was Kim Wilde, but the one before. Yeah, so. I uh, want to play that now for you with Lisa talking about uh, working with uh, Yoko Ono, with working with Kylie, uh, meeting Cindy Lauper, working with Kylie, um, and of course the big one that she worked with, John Farnham. Him, that's the one. Well, um, so all that. Lisa sent me a um, message for my birthday, and her and her daughter Madison were singing Happy Birthday to me. And I've got to say, it's the best version of Happy Birthday I've ever heard. They've got harmonies going and they're both singing so beautifully. What a lovely surprise that was. All right. Well, let's have a listen to Lisa having a chat to us about uh, all sorts of things to do with uh, her career. Okay. Hey, Lisa, you work, you work with some really interesting people. I want to ask you about a couple of them, if we could. Uh, the, yeah. the Yoko Ono experience, can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. I don't know about this. <laughs> I've forgotten the, the year, but it was back in the eighties, and I was on actually on tour with Kylie, and Yoko Ono was putting on a tribute for John Lennon, and it was in Liverpool, and huge stadium. We had a makeshift Hard Rock Cafe thing with, at the hotel that we were staying at. Oh, everybody, every man and his dog, you know, Natalie Cole. Cindy Lauper, Al Green, uh, Hall and Oates, um, you name it, they were on it. Yeah, we, we sang at this beautiful, huge live concert as a tribute. Yoko Ono was amazing. This tiny little woman, I've got to tell you what, she's, she's strong. You wouldn't want to cross her. Yeah, yeah <laughs> But it was, oh, it was just a wonderful experience. It was fantastic. So what did you actually do on the, at the gig? Um, we sang. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know that. But uh, what did you sing? Um, with Kylie. Imagine? No, no. It's it was a Lennon song. I thought it was a Lennon song. I can remember Kylie doing it. I thought it was Imagine. Imagine. It might have been that then. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that ridiculous? I've got a, a, a lot of concerts. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, gee whiz. I mean, if you had a dollar. I remember get... doing it, but the, the songs, we did two. Yeah, so one of hers and one of John's. But it was did, you meet Al, did you meet Al Green? 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. 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 I can't begin to tell you. I mean, I'm only five foot four. She must have been about six foot. And this woman, just just as her presence, you know, it was unbelievable. You know, a lot of my bucket list came true that night. <laughs> and yeah. um, I met Cindy Lauper in the toilets, in the women's toilets. What was she doing oh, in the toilets? Hasn't everybody? Well, she'd, um... she'd been, and then she came out, and she had two shirts in her hand. She went, you know, in her in her voice that we all know. I can't. Yeah. I'm not very good at, um, you know, which which shirt shall I wear? You know, and I went, oh, I went, oh, hello, <laughs> you know, and I went, yeah. oh, I love the one on the right, you know. Oh, where are you from? You know, yeah. are, you, are you a Nazi? Nazi. <laughs> yeah. And we just got talking about just everyday things, and she was like. The girl next door was she was so beautiful, yeah. and um, blew me away. And I walked out sort of a bit stunned, going, "I just had this, you know, rave with Cindy Lauper in the women's toilet." <laughs> and it was gorgeous. It was a, a wonderful experience, and everyone was there were just no, no egos. Everyone was just doing their thing and then enjoying it. You know, oh, it was good. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one I wanted to ask you about, I can't believe you you toured with Warren Mitchell. Yes, I did. Yes, Elton. Yes, um, I was fifteen at the time, sixteen. I did the support act for him at uh, round clubs around New South Wales and Adelaide, and not many in Victoria at the time. A lot of um, rural places. Yeah, he was funny as you know, he, and he was he was the salt of the earth. He was just so down to earth and, and his wicked sense of humour and um, really approachable, you know, it was, it was great. I did some um, pretty amazing things when I was in my teens and that was the days of when Harmony, the, my, the group, were together yeah. and we, we began at school um, and that's how all of that started. We would do supports for for acts that came out and then when we disbanded I continued on in the in the music field and and did a lot on my own as a solo artist. The Harmony album was called Undesirable Places, wasn't it? Well that's a really good title for this. <laughs> I'm so I'm just I'm, and it's a great title for a song. So I've just written it I wrote it down because I was thinking that when you when you mentioned it. Undesirable places. places. I know. But you know what blew me away? Because I was only five, um, at the time when my mother got that letter from the headmaster, at the end of it it said, um, you know, at Lisa's reading She's you know, a good reader, and and she has the uh, traits of to be a good musician. Oh wow! And I went, oh my gosh, you know, she she could make a good musician one day. And I went, well, how can they see that at that age? Yeah, <laughs> and um, when I was at school, I used to you know do all the assemblies, sing at the assemblies, and sing the anthems, and sing a song, or was involved in the plays. So it was great days. Did you play then. flute, Lise? 
Yes, I did. Yeah. That was one of my first instruments. And wow. um, I was actually, <laughs> you know how sometimes we would do tours with John, we, you know, you try to reinvent tours and change them around to make them different. And instead of having the bagpipes, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, I can play flute. And John went, oh, great idea. So I was <laughs> given a flute. I had to play the bagpipe on the flute. Da, 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 da. Well, have you ever tried to play flute without, like, you know, it's a bit like whistling. You can't whistle when you're laughing or smiling. Yep. <laughs> and I'm standing there and I just, it, some of it came out. <laughs> it didn't last very long. <laughs> my gig as a flautist in fun and band didn't last very long. I could put it in my resume. <laughs> yep. Well, tell, tell us about the John Farnham you know. Oh, look, he's, he's fun. He's an unbelievable entertainer. And uh, I say that not just because I have worked with him for all those years. He's great with people. He loves what he does. We had unbelievable fun on the road back in the day. Yeah, he's just a, he's a freak singer. <laughs> and he gets really, he gets really nervous before he goes on stage, though. Doesn't yes, he? yeah, and yeah. That, that's great. But but that's a good thing, you know. And once yeah. he starts singing, it just goes. And he knows that we've got his back. He just knows how to turn that into a positive. And you know, if he makes a mistake, he wears it on his sleeve, you know. And everybody's expecting him to, you know. Yeah. And, but we all do. He just brings it to everybody's attention. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> I think Which that's is, why, why people like him so much. Yeah. So down to earth and honest. Yeah. But honestly, it, it's been an absolute joy and I learned a lot along the way with it, you know, and working with the band, with everybody in the band. Everybody that came into the band, we just all got along. It was like a, a family. It really was. It was like a family. It was like watching the Brady Bunch grow up. <laughs> <laughs> we hung out together all the time, all the time, overseas when we were on the road, um, in the buses, you know, we'd keep ourselves abused, play cards, tell stories, you know, we'd, we'd go visiting uh, museums when we get to certain places, we'd meet in the morning for breakfast and go our way. It was beautiful. It was really fantastic. Yeah, good. And um, you know, the guys were the guys were great. Well, biggest album of in Australian mm. history, and you know, I think you set the record for the most shows at the Entertainment Centre until Pink came along. Yep. Yes. <laughs> you know, you did something like how many shows did you do? It, said, it was ridiculous. You got the John Farnham room at the Entertainment Centre or something now. Yeah. Oh, was it six weeks or something? Yeah, or it, was it was ridiculous, some ridiculous yeah. number of shows. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love being on tour. I just loved it. And oh, well, yeah, hopefully we'll all get to do it again in the not I know. In the future. Yes. You know, we'll have to look towards the new year, I think. The boy Yeah. Can yeah always, I've got a feeling. At least you can Go always ahead. dust off that copy of the Turbo Love Nuns album and have a listen to that during oh lockdown. Oh, my God. The Turbo Love Nuns. Turbo Love Nuns. Oh, my God. Now, there's Ron another Ron Charles. Yes. God, that goes back a long way. I've been blessed to um, work with some great musicians and learn a lot along the way. You know, it's a bit of a sponge. and sit back, I just observe, watch. When you watch Farnham and all you guys, you know, you can tell that you're all friends and that you're having fun up there. And 
as I always say, well, you know, if I'm not enjoying it, I can't expect anybody else to. And um, you, yeah. know, you guys clearly, you know, love what you're doing and, you know, well, get on really well with each other. You can't fake that friendship thing if it's not there. No, but, but even the friendship thing, and you hit the nail on the head, how you're feeling on stage, you emanate, you know, and you yeah. get that back from, from the audience. And, um, and that, that's really important. And that's what I love about, you know, performing live. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, Lise, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You've been very generous with your time. And, and good luck with the album. It's uh, it's terrific. And uh, we, we wish you all the best with it. Now, I know you've got more undesirable places to get to, so we'll say, we'll say, <laughs> we'll say thank you Kevin for being Brian, with us. Kevin Bryan, thanks for having me on. And, oh, and just to, for everybody, you know, so that album can be bought online or at, at – um, JB Hi-Fi and Sanity. Is Sanity yep. still um, alive <laughs> and running? I, I, don't, um, I don't think there's much Sanity in the No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but anyway. I'm it's, still it's, the it's woman who's the name of the album, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, grab a copy it's of it and have a listen. Thank you very much, Thanks, Lise. Kevin, Kat. Thanks, Brian. Uh, that is Lisa Edwards, lovely human being. Great album, I'm Still the Woman. Check it out. Uh, it is available on all the streaming platforms and at uh, JB Hi-Fi and all the, uh, all the music stores too. And There's think, some great songs on it, including I Am Woman. I think you can also get it on a platform aid at Spencer Street too, uh, Kev, if, you, if you're so inclined. Thank you very Valid much. On all now, the let's get, okay, let, let's get to uh, the other screaming platforms. Do you think I'm, where you catch a train. Do you think I'm still a bit full from last night? Of? Full of ink. <laughs> <laughs> you're still you're still celebrating your 60th birthday. I'm worried that you'll still be celebrating your 60th birthday when you turn 70. Well, it, it does take me a lot longer to get over things, but, uh, gee, I'm feeling no pain today, so that's good, except for the Dan Andrews wake-up call. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, well, blame the ABC. Everyone blames the ABC for everything. Yes. And... Failing the ABC, blame Dan Andrews. Anyway, let's get into part two of our uh, interview with Joe Camilleri. Okay. Uh, to talk about his, uh, talk about his, uh, we're talking about, amongst other things, his, his new album, which I really want to make sure you have a listen to. It's on all the streaming platforms. Uh, St George's Road is the name of the album. There's some great songs on it, and we'll finish the show with uh, with a song, but uh, let's get into part two of Joe. Okay, thanks, Kev. The writing of this album did the songs come easy, Joe? Because uh, they're all they're all so different. Well, nothing comes easy, and everything is uh, part of your daily bread. Um, they're all different because I like a lot of different things. Songs just want to be played in a certain kind of way. It's not very often you can. Occasionally, it happens where you can, you know, you've written a ballad, but it should have been a rocker, or vice versa. I had an album out called Roaring Town. That song was really sort of, you know, high-powered country alt kind of song. And when it came to releasing the record, it turned out to be a ballad, you know, because it really felt right. The lyric felt right for that. I was just pushing it too hard. But um, more often than not, you've got the right idea for the song. And and some songs will kind of just lead you there. Something like what's taking your smile away. It just leads you... To the saxophone, oh, oh yeah. So you're always thinking like that, you know. Even though um, Peter Solly came out to produce this record by accident, he sort of encouraged all these different things. How long did the album take you to record? Um, did you record it? At, you've got a studio yourself, haven't you? 
Yeah, well, you know, I used to have uh, Woodstock Studios, which I recorded in, right. and then we mixed it at Platinum. It was a limited time frame because he, he had to go back to New York and then come back and mix the record. And so there was 10 days' worth of mucking around and then, you know, another 10 days to sort of iron out whatever was missing, you know. So it was probably a 20-day turnaround overall. Good. So like when, when did he come up with throwing the piano accordion into Chiquita? <laughs> well, that was my idea. He was loved it? that song, right? Okay. Well, you know, in 1982, I had a, the, the first album was, was uh, Sonola. Sonola, the actual name Sonola is a, a piano accordion maker. Of the uh, maker of a piano accordion, and George Petromulus was playing piano accordion, and that's what we were. We were an R and B Zydeco band. We played, you know, old fifties rock songs and sixties rock songs, and we, with a piano accordion violin. So we just had that little sound that was quite new then, you know. And we had that hit "Brown Eyed Girl," and the first album was a, a compilation of yeah. songs that we just everything we played in part of the Cafe Society of South Melbourne, you know. Uh, I was working in the Victorian market at the time, you know, so it was kind of like in between drinks. I ha- just had a hit with Taxi Mary and Walk On By. Tour finished, I'm back at the market, you know, wholesale market being a veggie roadie. I was just doing that. Veggie roadie. And the guy said, you want to play on a Sunday <laughs> at this at the cafe now? I said, Okay. And um, the rest is history. We, we played there on a Sunday afternoon. We got a great reaction. I used George. Uh, Wayne Burt came back on board. We had a couple of horn players, you know, just kind of just a few laughs and a couple of drinks and a few dollars, really. And we, we went into the AAV. They had a brand-new Harrison desk and a Sony 32-channel reel-to-reel. It wasn't a channel. It was a reel-to-reel machine. It was kind of like a digital machine. And they wanted okay. someone to um, to try it out. For $1,200, I had all one Sunday, you know, and we, we finished that album in about six hours, I think it was. We weren't even allowed to go into the control room, but Ross Cockle would say, that'll do, move on. And we just went from track to track, you know. And, and uh, But the piano accordion was a really interesting concept with the violin. Of course, it's, it's, it's a famous combo in French music, Zydeco music. Uh, New Orleans, and I had this record called Another Saturday Night, and it was just full of, it was chock full of these songs. I stole a few of those songs. So when it came to recording, short story long, when it came to recording Chiquita, this was the one song that Peter Solly really loved, you know. And I just thought it was a little ditty. I didn't think much more of that. You know, I just kind of liked playing it because you just play it. You know, you could play it. It's a sort of what you call a lounge room song. You just play it. You know, there was a few guitar players and a few singers. You say, oh, I've got one. You know, how can there be anything better? You know, and off you go. You know? yeah, yeah. And and he didn't want to, he, he didn't think about the piano chord. He said, well, I want to get George on it. We're going to do this song. I want George on it. Uh, I've got George. And, and I think he kind of, it makes it for me, you know. I mean, it, it's a nice little song and it, it you know, talks about love and, hard-working guy who's kind of just can't wait to see his gal on a Friday night. Yeah, another blue day. Kind of the real um, sort of solely kind of song on the album, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of my 
you know, I've been obsessed with um, obsessed with the '60s, late '60s soul music, especially um, you know Otis Redding and Arthur Conley, you know, really great singers, you know, Solomon Burke. I found a new love for Solomon Burke, you know, sort of sometimes my go-to thing, you know, play that soul music from way back then, you know, and I thought another Blue Day could cope with that treatment, you know, it's a nice little lyric, you know. One person sort of moving away from that particular relationship, and the other person is stuck in there, and um, and and you know, it's finding it really difficult to sort of take that next step. St George's Road is that written about anyone in particular? Um, well, not well. It's, it's it's about a lot of different people. You know, we've lost a lot of people along the way. You'd know some of these, or both of you would know some of them. You know, uh, Chris Wilson was the song wasn't written before Chris passed away. During that period of time, there was, you know, I, I lost part of my, my family's unbreakable chain. You know, my, my brother sort of, uh, you know, um, lost his battle. And, uh, and, and Nick lost a, a parent, you know, so it was, a, it was just, uh, we just felt there was just this need to sort of write something about those things. And of course, you know, then, you know, MG passed away. There was, a, you know, there was not only, people that we knew, people that, you know, that we loved, you know, just as musicians, you know. So it was it was written as a celebration more than paying tribute and, and homage to the people that are, um, that are important to us, you know, not only family people, but, you know, just the things that make you want to hang around, you know, make you want to be, you know, have a place in the world, you know, just uh, all those kind of different things. So that's how it came about, really. It was, and I kind of like that idea too. You know, um, you, you're always celebrating. You, you just remember people. You celebrate their existence. You know, I find it really um, tough when some of your idols die. I think you know, probably a lot of my idols have passed, and um, and it sort of gets to this point too now where you catch up with a lot of your muso mates at, um, oh, okay, I'll see you at the next funeral. And, um, yeah. yeah, we just... Well, I think all that's just true, Brian. You know, I think you've got to... You, you know, we, we end up saying, you're telling the same tales, you know, slightly different, you know. We tend to sort of spend more time at those than, than weddings, you know. I mean, that's the, that's life. And I think that the, um, the Mexicans, you know, Spanish, that. I think they do it better, you know. There's a better kind of celebration about moving on, you know. But I've taken this from um, from Gary Young, you know. I'll see it at Rockabilly Heaven, and it's fine by me, you know. And uh, you're just richer for knowing these people. Hey, one thing I read about you, Joe, when I was doing some reading on you, uh, John Denver recorded one of your songs. Is that true? And what he recorded was it? three. <laughs> three. He recorded three songs. He recorded right. three songs of Hold On To Me. And I think, you know, I thought I'd, you know, I thought, <laughs> I thought then I was going to be set. I was going to be everything was going to be sweet, you know. I, I could buy a, I could buy a shack somewhere in, uh, you know, the edge of nowhere. But it turned out that it was the worst record he ever made. No. Uh, he did "Chain to the Wheel," which was kind of an unusual song for John to sing. You know, he's a beautiful, beautiful sounding singer. He did the, the frozen, I mean, I always call it the frozen ones, but he did the chosen one, and he did Hold On To Me. Now, with Hold On To Me, I get a call from a publishing company, and uh, and he said, oh, John, John really loves this record. He's kind of obsessed with this record. 
this hold on to me record. He wants he wants to change the first line because he doesn't want to say we were dead on arrival. Now we always say you know we you know we're dead tired or whatever it is, but yeah. in America I don't think they use that phrase. And he wanted he changed it, which made no sense to me. And I said, well, you're welcome to, but we were alive on arrival. Oh really? You know, oh. yeah, he changed it to that. Which kind of ruined the whole idea of the song, but of course, you know, uh, the financial commitment was a little bit higher than the the artistic commitment. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> he he had the top end of town playing on that record, so you know, I, I was honoured that, that he, he, you know, they were three of the best songs on the record, really, uh, on the Hold On to Me record, and um, he was he just really. Apparently, just wanted to do uh, that song more than the other two. We were live on arrival, safe home at last. No cannon fire, dark side. No flags half man. We were sold out for silver. And a string of black pearls On the loneliest islands At the edge of the world Like destiny's children Souls lost at sea No room on the lifeboat You can hold on And Elvis Costello recorded, you said you toured with him a couple of times with the Falcons. He yeah. recorded one of yours as well? Yeah, he recorded So Young, which was my first real shot at being a songwriter. Wayne had left and I was writing a few songs at the same time, you know, trying to get little bits and little bits and pieces together for whatever we could do. Without Wayne, really, all we were, were a cover band. So that's what we were going to be unless someone was going to pick up the pieces. I was really into reggae music. About a year before Ross Wilson was in um, was in Jamaica, he brings a whole bunch of records, and he said, "You might be interested in this record. It's uh, a record by Delroy Wilson called I'm in a Dancing Mood,' which I recorded, and I remembered that record, and I and I started getting into reggae, and I wrote this song, and I, I, I had a it was kind of like a rock reggae kind of thing, you know." Yeah, it's a, it's a great. It doesn't have a shelf life. I think you know it's a strange old thing. It did well. Elvis gets it, uh, a copy. We might have been playing it when when we did that tour, you know. And Elvis was an angry young ant in those days with his pants on back to front, you know. It's kind of, but he was a sweet sweetheart. Only that was the persona, right? So he takes it back, and I get a call saying that he wants to know. If he can play the, if he can do the song, he said, "Yeah, of course he can do the song." I had no problem. I was, you know, really honoured, you know. But it didn't. He couldn't get it right. And I'm, I'm just trying to think of um, who was producing Elvis in those those days. I'm just trying to think. Nick was Nick, Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe, right? Yeah. And Nick Lowe apparently gets it, pulls the record, <laughs> and throws it out the window. You know, because he, he was sick of it by then. You know. Anyway, they do a version. I think it's on – it's pretty good. It's on Odds and Sods. 
thing I like about what Elvis did was he kind of figured that my lyric might have been a little bit, uh, you know, just a, too wacky, you know. And I was trying to make it so nothing rhymed. I was in that sort of, I was coming out of the the art world, you know, <laughs> where I kind of think, well, if it, you know, it's too easy if it rhymes. Let's see if we can make a story without doing that. And he sort of put it together a little bit. But the best version of that song that equals, I think my version's the best version because it's kind of wacky. But the best yeah. uh, was a, a guy called Frankie Miller. Oh, yeah. I remember Frankie you Miller. You know Frankie Miller? Yeah. Incredible but... singer. Yeah. He had a brain He had a brain hemorrhage and sort of put him out, but he was one of the best singers. You know, I think he was a Scottish guy. Yes. And, and I did uh, one of his songs, uh, I Ain't Got No Money, but I sure got a whole lot of love. And, and it was on a record called The Rock, I think. I'm glad my memory's coming back. Yeah, there you go. Um, he did a version of this song, and it really rocks. In later years, if I've done it with the band, I'd always go to his version and sort of rejig my version. Yeah. <laughs> I'm redoing my song in his style, but coming, you know, taking it back this way. I think that was the best version of anything that I've done. There's been a few people have done Shape I'm In and, and a few other things, you know, like Harley and Rose and a few other songs around over the years, you know. But I think most of the time you kind of, they're tailor-made. I mean, do you think that, Brian? Do you sort of write for yourself? Yeah. Uh, so they have to be tailor-made for you. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I write from my voice and I write I write things that I want to say. Um, and and if, if, some, if I do somebody else's song, it's because they're saying something that I want to say that I think represents me. Yeah. I'd love to hear somebody, you know, I don't think I've done the best versions of my songs, um, particularly 50 years. I'd love to hear somebody like Casey, Casey Chambers or somebody like that sing that. And, um, but, you know, that's, you know, you just, as I said before, you go back, oh, well, that's where I was then in 1985 when I wrote that song, whatever. Um, yeah, so you do an album just about every year, don't you, Joe? Well, yeah. Well, then yeah, you need kind to, of, not, not, not intentionally. I was going to say, then you need to have done 73 albums, wouldn't you? Well, you know, I did start. I did start the cradle. All right, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> no, the, um, look, I've got enough material to, to do two new albums. But, but, look, they're only ideas, right? I mean, I do them because I, I just, I love the process of everything. I love old gear. I love modern technology. I love... I'll swing and sway, you know. I'd love to be able to make a, a an instrumental saxophone record, you know. And I'm working towards maybe doing that. If you can be inspired to even pick up your phone and say, when I was writing The Shape I'm In, I was... I remember pushing Nat, my daughter, my first daughter, in a pram, not just pushing <laughs> pushing in a pram towards <laughs> Albert Park Beach. You know, and I started singing that song. And I had to sing it all the way back, you know. I didn't want to lose the thread that I thought would be, which turned out to be that song. I had to then sing it into a cassette recorder. Because all you have today, you've got the phone. We've had this album for um, 16 months, right? It was finished February, late February last year. So since then, I've recorded 20 songs, you know, second drafts. Three drafts. I work three drafts before you can call it a song. It's still an idea. And I couldn't go into the, my little home studio. I couldn't walk in there for like 
five months. Just couldn't go in there. It freaked me out. I, I, you know, I wouldn't even go there just to sort of dust the dust the nothing. Just didn't want to go. In. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm back in there, and I and and I, I realise that my phone is full of little things that is the the germ of something that could turn into something. You end up all of a sudden you've got another fistful of songs, or uh, uh, you know, if you want to call them sort of little paintings or something like that. You release them because you need to release them. Not, it's not because of someone knocking down the door asking you. Listen, you got to, hey man, you're the great. You just got to release this record. It's all about your personal. If you want to call it art, I never call it art. But if you want to call it that, you know, it is your thing. It's your DNA. It's your. It's it's what makes you tick. And that's how I feel about playing live too. You know, I, I want to play. I want to play more now. I'm not in my salad years anymore, so I respect it in a different way. In a, you know, in a, and I just want to do the best I can. I've always wanted to do that, but you know, I just want to do that because it brings me joy. It's my social commitment as well to being with my friends, you know, and you want to hang out with the people that you play because you don't want to be doing six-hour drives with people that you don't particularly like. You know? <laughs> yeah. Hey Joe, when you cast the uh, when they start casting uh, uh, Living Like Kings as a movie, Brian wants the Joe Pesci role. <laughs> okay. Well, you, he can't he can't be Geordie because he's six foot six. You know, yeah, he'd have yeah. to be Romeo. Okay, yeah. he's just kind of pretty smart sort of guy. That's the one. That's the one he wants. That's that'll, the one he wants. That'll do. Hey, mate, it's been an absolute uh, delight having a chat with you. This is a great little album. There's so many really good songs on this album, and uh, you should be really happy with uh, with what you've uh, what you've produced once again. Yeah. Thank you very much. And you know, it's a pity we can't do this face to face. Nice, nice to hear those velvet tones. Bye. Stay well. Yeah, you too. You too, mate. All right, that's uh, Joe Camilleri. What a what a terrific bloke. Lovely to spend some time having a chat with you. And of course, you've done a lot of gigs with the Falcons and stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I supported the Falcons a few times when the X-Men were first starting and, um, you know, I did work with Joe on the 2006 countdown thing and we sang the grand final together and um, I often bump into him at, um, you know, just sort of big concerts and stuff that we're both on the bill at and um, what a lovely fella, lovely fella. Very nice bloke. And really nice Lisa, bloke. lovely girl. Right. Okay. <laughs> You've been... Are you getting ready for all these Beatles specials that are coming oh, up? The, Have you noticed that? We've got a whole stack of them coming No, I know Peter Jackson's got a, a recut of uh, the Let It Be movie, which will be good. Yep. What else is coming out? Well, he's doing, a, he's doing a big doco thing too, I think, called Get Back. And then there's yeah. another, there's a massive big thing on Disney that's coming, a three or four-part series on Disney that's coming. And there's one that's on Disney now with Paul McCartney, um, and I can't remember who it is he's doing it with, but they go back and basically take all the Beatles songs apart and uh, McCartney explains I, where each bit came from, whatever. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of that. It's called 24 Go or something like that. But um, it, It's got an unusual name. Yeah, I can't remember what it is. Yeah, I saw a little bit about that. Um, very, very interesting. Um, you know, he, he sits there and he could sound a little bit full of himself. He goes, well, you know, I came up with this bit and I did that. But then he listen to me and go, well, hang on, he did come up with that stuff. And so, yeah, <laughs> you know, why share it around if you're the brains? But, um, yeah, good on him.
All right, well, thanks to our very good friends at Murcotts. Uh, don't forget, if uh, coming up to Christmas, if you're looking for a, a gift that's going to do some good for someone, uh, make them a better driver, grab a gift certificate, jump on the website and have a look, murcotts.edu.au, or give them a call on 1300 555 1300 Don't ask them for any chicken. 576. Would you like a $2 piece of chicken to go with that? <laughs> what are you having for dinner tonight, Brian? I might have a... Two dollar piece of chicken, Kev. <laughs> I, I just want to hear the girl again. Would you like fries with that and a two dollar piece of chicken? Uh, it's my first job. I'm not really that motivated. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if the biggest problem you've got is the tone of the girl at the Red Rooster's voice, is that your biggest problem? Then you're probably doing okay. Yeah, you probably are. All right, we'll enjoy uh, your time. We'll, uh, we'll uh, the Cup Day edition. Uh, it will be our next uh, Life of Brian dot 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 Mannix. That is featuring Buddy Good. Oh, that'll be a funny one. That'll be good, Kev. I might get myself a two dollar piece of chicken to listen to that one. Yep, including his uh, special song for the Melbourne Cup. We'll uh, we'll have that on as uh, the podcast. Oh, his Australia as Day well. songs are beauty as well. Uh, Wuhan the musical. Wuhan the musical. Happy birthday, <laughs> Australia! Oh, he's got so many great mm. songs. Mm-hmm. We'll have them all in there. Uh, so uh, look forward to that uh, when next we talk to you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Kev, for uh, keeping the be, show on the, on the track. So it merely made no sense at all today, but uh, thank goodness you're here. So well done to you and uh, bad luck to me. My